Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Sandra Dungy-Glenn. Uh, she's from Philadelphia and doing a lot of important work around holistic real estate development. What I loved about today's episode was that we talked about what does that look like? We got really specific. And really what it's about is obviously making the right decisions from a real estate investing perspective, but but I should say, and doing right by the community and the people in that community. And they develop a social metric scorecard. Of course, the numbers need to work, right? But they also have a checklist of things socially impacting the community that people should take in consideration. This is a very informative and eye-opening, I would say, also, in order for us to create a new norm. That social impact is also a line item on our spreadsheets. So before we get into Sandra's story, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 Exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show where our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life on their own terms. So I don't just so we, we do that in lots of different ways. And we're so pumped to have Sanja Dungy Glenn with us here today. We're going to be talking about real estate development. We're going to be talking about a bunch of different things to say, how do you do this in a holistic way and not just make money, but make money and make a difference in communities that you're investing. So excited to jump into your story, Sandra. Thank you for being here. 
Absolutely. Glad to be here. Happy to have the conversation. Awesome. Awesome. And as we always do for uh, all of you amazing listeners that have been with us, whether you just start listening to our podcast or if you've been with us since four years ago, right? And just a 300 plus episodes later, we'd like to get connected to you to share one quick tip. We try to go as deep, but as brief as we possibly can, if that's possible. And uh, just to get connected to all of you with something coming up for us. So, so Andressa, what do you, what do you have going on, my friend? We're going to talk about play dates. <laughs> We're going to talk about play dates. All right. Go. Play date. Because, you, you know, when you take your, your kids to play dates, to public restaurants, that's when you truly see the result of your parenting skills, per se, right? They're, oh. put, they're put to the test, Uh-oh. right? How they're behaving, how they're eating, how they're interacting with another kid. So Lorenzo and I, we went up to a play date to my new friend, Alexa, that I, I met at the soccer uh, field. I mentioned it to you, Liz. So Alexa is one of ours. You know, the type of person that it's vulnerable, super full of energy. Alexa, if you're listening, you're one of ours. Okay. And then... um. We were eating, and then at the end, we were doing a game where say I I would rather this or that, and then Alexis served uh, a dessert, and my son took a, a bite of it, and he looked Uh-oh. at me and said, "I don't like this at all." First, I wanted to strangle him right there, right? It's like, dude, are you serious? And then I, and then Alexis started laughing about it. And I was like, Lorenzo, when I had to say it to him, when you don't like something, you just don't say that. <laughs> she made it. It sounds a little rude. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So y- y- you don't know that, right? And then we ended up talking about something else about what, what failure truly is. And then Lorenzo said, but let me tell you something. When we make a mistake, that does not mean we fail. That means that we learn something. Fail is when people don't try. And I was like, okay, redeem myself here. Oh, like the, the noise came out. Uh, uh, and then I was like, oh, thank you, God. At least one thing, one thing, you know, went, went, went through him. But the reason why I'm saying this to, to you guys is that we learn so much through podcasts, conferences, and sometimes we don't get an opportunity to practice, right? So if you learn different skill sets to have tough conversation or to manage your time, guess what? You're going to be tested. Do you have your boundaries set? You're going to be tested. The universe is going to be tested. And I looked at Lorenzo being tested there. I was like, this is going to be challenging right it's going down the hill my kid just really being ungrateful over here is not working but take your time when when things when you're being tested with your time with anything in your in your life just remember the training that you had and where you're going have some grace because you're going to drop the balls but you're something is going to get in and 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 not just for you but for the kids too but I just wanted to share because I was like, okay, Jesus, you know, are we doing the right thing here, right? Or not? Just be patient. 
because you know one one positive note might might come along. I love it. I love that. That's great. And you're just like, it's a journey as a parent, right? To keep keep making sure your kiddos are actually taking in what you're hearing and and doing something with them. So that's awesome. Love that. And I think it's a wonderful story about the balance of it. Because on one hand, there was a little something that he missed, but the other piece he got. And so that journey, you know, and if it's not, and I think the lesson that I hear from it, it's not an even field journey. It is so tumultuous up and down, and that 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 piece of it came through with your story. So then welcome to Real Steve Vassie, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what it's all about. So so Sanja, as we jump into to you and your story, what has been the hardest and longest lesson that has what what lesson has taken you the longest to learn? Mm. Patience and trust that I tend to be a patient, inpatient person. I've learned patience over the years. I'm a Virgo. If I have this thing about everything has to be in order and I can make it work on my schedule in my time, and that is not life. So understanding the ebb and flow about patience and then to the point about doing all that I can and I'm a woman of faith, and so I, God is a very constant, real, day-to-day part of my life. And so understanding after I do all I can, that there is a level of trust that has to come in to say that there are things outside of my or our control when I think about our company. Uh, and so we do what we can, and then we have to trust that we're moving in the right direction. But that trust, uh, absent sight. It's very difficult. You know, before you before it materializes, believing that the ingredients have been sewn in and it will bear fruit, that's a difficult thing. So that's that is a lesson that I'm still going through. I can't say that I've learned it. I'm still going through it. And I and I find that with each iteration, it more trust is being required and more patience is being required before getting to the expected outcome. So that that's my uh, the journey part of the journey that I'm on. You know, it's funny because um, yesterday I was listening to Mel Robbins' podcast, which I highly recommend to, to people, and she was talking about patience, and that's just like, don't you dare to become impatient. And I was like, whoa, right? Uh, don't you dare to become impatient. And then the way that she said, or or to and then to say, okay, I'm not getting it what I needed. Therefore, I'm just going to let go of this or my journey is not coming as fast as I wanted. Therefore, it's not working. And then she said, you need to take a deep breath and really think and imagine, how about if you are just one step away from achieving that? Like, think about like the minor, right? Giving up and, and, and the goal is right there. But you're like, I want to now. Or, and I think that, Sandra, what you're talking about, like the balancing out, women put a lot of pressure on themselves to um, create and build this portfolio in real estate in a way that is not holistic and it's not serving women anymore. So today we're going to talk about how can we create a holistic approach. Um, and we stand for women to create and build 
wealth on their own terms. So for you, let's can we break down what what does a holistic approach when it comes down to investment look like to you? Well, um, I can give a very a long answer to that and a short answer or a short answer, and I'll try to go in the middle. <laughs> Coming to real estate, and for me, and I'm not a real estate professional, I put that on the table. My background has been in public policy and electoral politics and nonprofit, um, community organizing, even education. And so for me, holistic, first of all, being my city, Philadelphia, the evolution over the six plus decade that I've now lived here from a city um, where as a black resident in Philadelphia, and there's still about 45% of the of the population here, the largest demographic group. Many of the neighborhoods that were part of my childhood um, and stable home ownership, solid, um, holistic meaning that you had businesses there, you had families living there, the schools were were good. My mother went to the same elementary school I went to. We had the same first grade teacher. So that gives you some idea about ability. Much of that is gone, that there's a, a, a very, a lot of displacement and disintegration of what I think of as anger in neighborhood. Um, in Philadelphia, home ownership in, in, among Black residents is, is declining. Um, the um, uh, wage level, the big gaps in wealth in the city. So uh, health indicators, we know about issues around violence and other health indicators. So when you think about Quality of life, which is part of holism to me, quality of life has been threatened in a lot of ways. And so what brought me into this arena of real estate was understanding for me, growing up, the connection between stability of place. I grew up in the house my mother grew up in, that my grandparents bought, you know, when they when they came to the city. And so 50, 60 years later, we're still in that same boat. My block was 98% homeowners. And so we knew the neighbor. They knew me from the time I was born to the time I was adult. That was disappearing. And that does a lot to people emotionally and socially. There's a trauma that is attached to that. And so unless we can think about how we restabilize neighborhoods, how we re-anchor communities, the social world we talk about are, are, are going to continue to plague us. So... Our approach to real estate with the growth collective, and we can talk more about exactly what that is, but I come to it as one of three partners who brought together a group of Black developers who are thinking about, as you look at using the land for real estate, whatever you're building, how does that re-establish assets and anchors in community that are about, yes, cowardly, but what about healthcare? and access to quality health care. What about access to healthy food? What about a place for you to start your business? So when you think about shared workspaces or entrepreneurial hub, how do you use the real estate, as we call it, as the portal to change the quality of life, the health, wealth, and wellness in a neighborhood, in addition to being a physical asset? So that's holistic development where you can use the real estate, the physical asset to address health, wealth, and wellness of the people there um, 
and you're investing in them and, and, as opposed to displacing them. So gentrification has been very, a very real driver here in Philadelphia, too. So that's what I think about it. And, and as we've been providing holistic development. I love that, Sandra. And, you know, we we got our start in investing in uh, Trenton, New Jersey, a much smaller urban community, obviously, than Philadelphia. But but in and of itself, um, there was such a there was such a development of the property, but it's obviously development of the community, too. Right. And um, I'm, I'm curious to get your insight into this, because I think so many people listening and watching, um, especially the, the women we serve. What are, what are you part of the solution? So they, they get it, right? They, they get what you're saying. And probably most of the, the people listening would say, yeah, how do we do that? And so my next question, though, to you is not just how, but, you know, we become good at what we do. So let me preface my question. We become what we're good. We, 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 we know how to redevelop this property, right? Structurally, get the right contractors, get the plan together, what's the highest and best use of the property, et cetera. What you're speaking about is really... The, the true gem of holistic development of a community, which is which is completely needed. How does someone who is really a true investor knows real estate uh, become part of the solution without knowing all those pieces? Because they they're not going to know exactly what's needed from a healthcare perspective, from a um, you know from a food perspective, all the pieces of the puzzle of like really serving communities in the way you just spoke to. How do they kind of stay in their lane and partner with others? I, I guess that's the question I want to ask you and in, in, in developing that because we've got to keep people doing what they're good at also considering all the other pieces, right? Well, my honest answer is that's why we created the growth collective. Um, I come from a like, kind of talk about a policy background, if you would, kind of community organizing policy background. I've connected with two partners. One of my partners, Teddy Smith, is a, we call him a serial entrepreneur because he started a lot of businesses, but he is a developer. He and his partner have been developing real estate properties in Philadelphia. My other partner, Stephen Sanders, has 30 plus years in financial management and investment management. He understands money and institutional investment and, um, you know, everything from hedge funds to all these other vehicles and products that I, I can't even call. And we couldn't, so we came together around the concern about what's going on in our neighborhoods in Philadelphia. And so the three of us kind of are a, a good mix of, um, of skill set. But then we went out and said, well, what's missing are the practitioners, the people like the women you're talking about who are actually out there doing it. And so what we ended up doing literally three years to this month, we brought together a group of seven black developers who we just knew from our various parts of life and brought them into our bullets and said, hey, guys, like, how do we... What are you doing? What do you see as being why we're seeing what we see in Philadelphia? What's going on? What's going on with you as you go out about this? Literally for me, it was really a lesson that I didn't know about it. Um, and so when we brought that into the room, we heard two things. First of all, because these were Black developers working in Philadelphia, already trying to do the kinds of things and doing the kinds of things I spoke about, meaning envisioning projects that Developed the property, but thought about a different uh, added use, added value to it. So they already had the vision. And that's the first thing. You, if, where there's a will, there's a way. That's what I have found out in most of life. So if you really are committed to doing this, you really believe this is the way to go, when it is a matter, you're right. How do I do it? How do I raise the money? And that was their other problem. 
getting access to the capital. Mm. And for a variety of reasons that we can go into, you know, women have a challenge in the marketplace with equity and really being seen as qualified and so forth. We know people of color as a black woman. I know what that is when people look at both your race and your gender and question whether you can do it, whether you know enough or smart enough or whatever. So our developers were struggling with that. So we've made the commitment to the World Collective and we're out here now in the marketplace being the, um, let's say, the attractor of capital because what we said is let's put their portfolio of projects together. Each of them individually have a track record. When we put their portfolio of projects together, they had over $400 million worth of projects in their combined pipeline. And that was more attractive to some levels of investors than just, let's say, I have a project in a million dollars, maybe, maybe it's sit on $750,000. That may not attract the capital, but this aggregate portfolio was more attractive. That, so that's one thing. And we're out there, we've committed to both raising a fund, we've launched a fund uh, to attract capital, equity capital, and we are, are looking at a variety of other capital sources that just are able to bring uh, money to their individual projects. So helping them with the capital was one thing, and that's the walk we're doing. But on the other side, we found that we have had to move into this environment, as we call the ecosystem, and kind of create a whole different level of consciousness around what this view of real estate looks like compared to exactly what you started with, kind of more traditional. So we've been out there meeting with elected officials and we've been meeting with the public agencies and we've been meeting with the large real estate companies and we've been meeting with the banks, planting the seed about with vision. And that's a lot of stuff. We, we are in some way, you know, proselytizing and being evangelistic about shifting, you know, creating this message and, and creating a vision and the climate around, let's be honest with George Floyd, this old, like awakening around inequity, racism, systemic racism has been a helpful backdrop because people are at least more aware of some of these barriers that need to be overcome and at least more open to thinking about what are possible solution. And so we're just offering our approach as here is a strategy and a solution, not the only thing that needs to get done, but something that we have seen is valuable. You know, our developers are in the neighborhoods working with residents to say, here's what you want us to do with these parcels. That would be of value to you. And that collaboration has has been value. Um, and the growth collective, now we're going out and working with community organization and uh, elected officials ourselves to say, what's your vision around development? Don't just wait for something to come to you. Let's figure out how we can kind of attract uh, developers to your vision about development. So that's how we're, we're coming at it. And, and, and we are testing this model um, because we believe it has value. We've seen some real benefit from it even in the short term because we believe it's something that can be replicated in other markets not just here in philadelphia but a cleveland and a uh chicago the detroit atlanta washington could all probably benefit from this kind of approach so that's what we're testing out as well i love that i, I want to talk about the this awareness level right we have different situations 
that has happened the past uh, couple of years that was awakening for a lot of people. But some people are still sleepy. Sandra, sounds to me. Wake uh, up. Yeah. Well, it, it feels one thing that I learned is like, it's not the African-American community to start educating people about a certain things that they should self-educate or seek for the education. That being said, I think that uh, there is a den- I den- naming it like a denial of 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 certain uh, communities that this is this is real. The gap is it is real. So I just want to talk to you guys about this for for a second uh, because what do you feel in terms of like enrollment? Of, of people, lenders, for example, right? I feel that it's just like, let's talk about, they don't even understand many times why a project like Liz and I want to talk about the investor community. We get this all the time. Why do you even have that? I was like, what are you talking about, right? Minority. And your case is is, is, is different, but talk to me about this level of, of our owners. You mentioned here, that you were invited to speak on, on a panel. And I, I was like, what is happening here? So you said, I've spoken on panels with individuals uh, who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I've been asked to fill the coffee, hang somebody's coat. Um, and that happening in two different events. Like that blows my mind that that's still happening. But I, I wanted to hear... From you, what are the challenges that you guys are facing right now in order to to get that project moving? Well, to be honest with you, um, two. I'll say. Let me start with this, and I, I call myself the reluctant capitalist because a lot of my work has been kind of like I said around um, a social change, and and so coming into this arena of real estate, uh, I teach my my partners about being the you know figuring out capitalism for good and you know there's good ways to use it. But I will say, first of all, it still has to be, it still has to pencil out these deals and the project still have to have be financially feasible. They have to work by the number. So I would say that's the first thing. We're not talking about people being uh, philanthropic to the sense that, oh, we're just throwing money away. No. When you, two things I would say. One, that the projects themselves have to have real financial returns. And we have to be able to show that. Our developers have to be able to show that. And we have to, they have to be able to put their capital back together in a way that at the end of the day, there's going to be a return on the investment. That's one thing. The second thing I would say is when we look around Philadelphia in the neighborhoods we're talking about, we see people coming in there to extract value from these communities. So they see that, they know that there are ways to make money in these communities, but with you, and again, being very honest, whether it's because of a history of racism or discrimination, or just because capitalism really looks for a way to, I want to give to least to get the most out, we have to make sure that the decisions are in the hands of those who understand how to, in a sense, protect that value. But that's why we are so, um, I guess, embracing of our developers, because yes, these are business people. We're running a business, but their commitment is that we have to run a business around certain ethics and principles. And yes, we are going to do projects that are just a return, but they're also going to add value to the, the community. And so the 
story that we have to take to the investors, though, they want to see the numbers. And so we're constantly working with our developers around, let's look at how we can manage your sources of money, your cost of borrowing, getting the city to make sure that the that where there is available land, they prioritize uses of this land to be to the community benefit, reduce your cost of acquiring the land, getting site control. So how do we help you set the best um, project financial scenario in place so that when we go to the investment community, they can see a real return? So that's on one side. And then part of the other side is, as I said, kind of being the messages like this and in environments and in opportunities where we're helping people to make the connection that you can do well and you can do good. That maybe we could take a, a smaller horizon about your return. Maybe it won't be five years. Can you, can you invest for 10 years? Is that something you can do? And can we find patient capital as the first in money? And so that's where our foundation and some of our, the state government resources could be that first in dollar. And then the markets can kind of see and understand a little bit better. They feel that the risk has been minimized. So it's all of those things and working, honestly, working all those angles that we are learning to do and figuring out how we bring our public officials alongside us, how we go out to our um, investment, kind of like our, the, we have these private public kind of PIDC here in Philadelphia and help them to see how they can partner with us um, because they all have these mandates now about investing in quote-unquote underserved communities and so how they can do that in ways that bring return. So we're, we're working both to change some of the decision-makers stakeholders understanding about this, but at the end of the day, making sure that we have projects that are financially strong. That's great. I, there's so many different ways I want to take the next question. So I'm thinking about which, which, which one do I want to take in my head? I'm curious, though, for the women listening, I'm thinking about, and we have a lot of women in the tri-state area, the Philadelphia, New Jersey, New Jersey, uh, I'm sorry, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York area. Um, we have Everywhere. We're in 42 countries, but we do have a, quite a bit of uh, women and, and men listening that are from that area. When they look at doing, um, and we've done projects in Philadelphia. Jess and I have, have personally uh, worked on projects in um, developing, um, you know, uh, single family to, to new construction. I'm, I'm curious, though, for women who are, are by themselves, right? A lot of sole investors, if you will. Um, what are some of the first few steps that they can take? Um, you have a background, right, of, of community organizing, like you're an expert in that. And it sounds like you have like this powerhouse team and a resource, certainly th there in, in Philadelphia, which is wonderful. But we have people who are across the country who are in these, you are in dif different areas and they want to, they do want to buy that property and they don't want to displace people, certainly, but they also want to buy that property and build, build their wealth and make a difference. They want both. They want to be that, that, that capitalist that's doing good. I think that's a lot of the women. So what are maybe a few of the people in the community that they can talk to, that they can, um, I don't know, what, what are the, some of those simple first action steps they can take in their well, own community? I want to invite them, one, and and, and no, no, to visit our website and, and connect with our developer. I mean, because there's nothing better than going to someone who's done it to learn how to do it, talk to somebody who has done it or is doing it. So we have seven development companies that are part of our first cohort of developers in the Growth Collective. Two of them are women. 
owned and women run uh, development companies, uh, Mosaic uh, Developers is probably among the black development companies in Philadelphia, probably the best known and maybe yep. the largest, if you would. I know that. Um, the other one that's run uh, has a woman um, in terms of the uh, owner is Wilson Drake, Lorraine Drake, and her husband owned that development company. And they, they have a very clear knit of doing naturally occurring um, affordable rentals and that are real quality in, in communities. And so they would put a model together with no subsidy how to do that and and appeal to regular working Philadelphia. When you think about how you can be an asset and how you look in real estate, so they're very clear about what's the size of the, of the, the let's say, property that we can construct. You know, I think their largest unit, may, maybe 13, their project maybe 13 units. They don't do 100 or, you know, 200 unit apartment buildings. So they keep it small and manageable because that's what the niche of their financing and everything. Um, but our developers go across all asset classes, mixed use and commercial, uh, rental, uh, owner-occupied housing. And they are putting together multi-phase projects that do what you're talking about doing. So I'll give you two examples. One of them is Healthy Town. What if you're familiar with Philadelphia, part of North Philadelphia, Nice Town, Tioga, adjacent to Temple Medical School. The community can be doing well, given a lot of the natural assets that are there, but high rates of, of health uh, issues. Uh, I think diabetes rate is like 19% uh, uh, rate of diabetes. It's, you know, high rates of uh, unemployment. So as Anthony Miles is looking at, who's the, the founder of the company, is looking at that area. He and his company have designed a project that is multi-phased. It's taking on a four-square-block area and doing uh, mixed-income housing, uh, state-tier housing, creating and, and envisioning a, a vertical uh, form, um, a farmer's market, and a healthcare hub linked to entrepreneurial space. So it has five, six different moving parts that are part of a holistic vision for this neighborhood. And so he's brought in Temple Medical School. He's brought in some of the foundation. He's working with all of the community organizations designing this project. So it's not a developer coming from the outside stay here. Here, uh, come to these two community meetings. We'll show our design and we're going to get started. It's being done in cooperation with the community, taking input from the other stakeholders and getting their buy-in. And it's not easy. I mean, this is something you get at for at least five, six years now, and it's still building out. So he's investing the time and energy. I would give you that as one example. And a similar kind of project going on in Westerly, where another one of our developers on a smaller scale is doing kind of like three interconnected complementary projects in Parkside, right off the park, um, in uh, intergenerational housing, uh, a food, healthy food hub, and a, um, again, a health access, uh, like preventative health access center connected to open space, green spaces, and the park. And so really kind of thinking about the natural environment you're eating, but also the social, cultural assets you're working on, you're working with. But I think most importantly, not being afraid to talk with, connect with, and even um, in some cases, 
negotiate with the communities you're coming into uh, because they have to be a part of the process and not be seen as sort of like the last step of the process or that they are, uh, you know, I had to use the, the, the therapist, almost like, you know, we're coming into the, you know, the native or restless kind of attitude that we are now interlopers. They really have to be, you really have to feel that you are part of this community and not coming in from the outside. I think those are some of the things I'm learning as I look at what our our um, uh, developers are doing and how they're approaching it. And then we as the growth collective really are being that intermediary to bring other helpful support, again, whether that's elected official or whether that's foundations or maybe larger development companies. We're sort of that intermediary that helps to strengthen their hand and their work and their project. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets and 500 of those women will be at InvestorCon 2024. It is the number one premier conference for women in real estate and it's happening June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestorCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care, all designed to help you take control of your financial future. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with women who are playing at the same level. Time is running out. You just have four weeks left to get your ticket, to learn more, and to get your tickets. Visit investhercon.com today. Use the code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted to talk in terms of the impact, right? Because we we've seen the impact of of things, communities that were gentrified that the impact, the negative impact, what it's not working. So in terms of the positive impact, you mentioned about the trauma of not seeing the 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 street or the neighbors uh, that you grew up at. What are the positive impacts of programs like this? Uh, can can make not just an individual, but like generations to come, when applied from a, a, a holistic perspective. 
one of the things that we are being really intentional about is um, we call it our social metrics scorecard. That as we look at a project that our developers are bringing to us, that we will put potentially invest in, that we literally have a scorecard that has everything from who are going to be the owners of the property, a project, who's working on the project, um, what are the outcomes like, what will it do for home ownership, will it increase home ownership, what will it do around the uh, cost of renting in this neighborhood, will it bring, let's say, a new options for a healthy food, will it make you know food options closer to people in that community, will they have more park space or green space? So can they literally go down a checklist and say, here are the assets um, and the amenities that will be added because this project's here. So that's the first step. Can we measure an outcome that is going to result because we're doing this project? Um, so, and I think that's probably, probably the most important, not just in theory, but like really literally stormwater management. If we put this project here and we put green infrastructure around it and these new plants are trained, that will help with water quality in the neighborhood. Well, then that was runoff. If we do this, can now five more first-time home buyers afford to stay in this part of West Philadelphia or North Philadelphia or Germantown? Um, can now people who are working for SEPTA afford to rent an apartment here? Those are real, just tangible. So we, you, you have to be able to measure it. I would say that's the you know, the first and most important thing is it really tangible, doesn't have tangible uh, uh, benefit to the community in which it, it's being brought. And then again, the engagement with people who are living there, being able to help to define some of the uh, components of what that project is. It, it, it dictates everything because again, their financial realities, their constraints about the, the actual uh, physical property itself size of it and, you know, maybe even some of what's been there before. So, but it could, they do have, what, there are ways that you can build in some of the uh, communities that say preferences and priorities, can they be added to your vision as developer, what I want to do here. And so it's an iterative process. That, that's the other thing. Not coming in when this is fully designed and 100% decided, but at the earlier stages, I have this general idea. I have these general constraints. But let's see and let me hear um, about how I might be able to incorporate my vision with the vision of what folks who are already there. And then some of the other folks would want to need, I'm going to need to bring them all with me. Uh, but so that's what, again, I think we are seeing as we go through this to make sure that at the end of the day, it, it, it is an asset. Uh, to the neighborhood, and it's not a liability, it's not a displacing. And again, I'm not saying all this would be, so don't make it like, oh, yeah, that's been all, all into place. So it's sometimes it can be very hard, and it, it takes like five or six different uh, scenarios to come back over and over and over again before you can get it right. So. Yeah, and I think that's where partnerships play in because, you know, people do need to stay in their lane. And they need to know if they want to achieve something with a social impact. That's a level of expertise and how to how to do that. Like what you're saying. Min, right? And then commitment. commitment. It's wow. a commitment and a will. And, and, and what we, again, as the collective have been able to do, we meet monthly, now virtually, for the most part, 
But we will bring in different companies, uh, agencies who have resources. Somebody who there, what they do is green infrastructure. But we introduce them to our developers. And so they can help them understand, here's how you can build this into your project. Somebody who's an expert on energy efficiency. And so here's how you can think about doing, um, you know, uh, you know, more affordable or alternative kind of energy resources or building other sustainability components in your project in an affordable way. Because our developers, you know, they, they, they have a lot on their plate. And so helping them find these partners and other experts, and they don't have to be the experts, that's the role we've been able to play as the, as the collective, as the growth collective, myself, my partners, and then our consultants that we bring to our development. Yeah. And I love the idea of the social metric scorecard. I know Andressa is getting all excited over there. Um, but I'm excited I, I about that. I love, I love that idea from the perspective of before you go and buy a property, before you execute on the project, we need to have our own metrics as women, as investors. So our time, our money, our, our, our lifestyle is in check. It's more than just making money. Women, a lot of the women in our community, from our meetups to the, you know, our investor con that comes out, you know, it participates to our, our Strive members are literally not just doing this because they have nothing else to do and they just want to make some extra uh, cash flow. Yes, that's part of it. However, it's more than that for so many, so many women, especially women in our community that have that, that, that yearning to support the community, yearning for like creating generational wealth, yearning to make a difference and make money, I, I, hands down. But you can't do that if you don't have a laser-focused, boundary-oriented scorecard, if that's what I'm hearing, because it's creating the boundary of saying, what are we willing to, what, what's going to work for this for me? for the community and not work. And I think we all kind of have that internally, but it's not written down and it's certainly not on a scorecard. So I love that as um, kind of, de- you know, investing criteria um, mm-hmm. and create a social piece of that, everyone listening, because if you start to create that as a line item for yourself before you go and do a project, you're going to start looking for that. It's going to start to be like, huh, what is this? So I, I know this is important to me, but now it's a line item on my scorecard. And I, I think, think that's a wonderful way to approach it. And um, because we 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 measure what's important to us, I think that we run. Yeah, at the end, yeah, but I think you, you you hit the first part. Though. You have to start with the vision and the will. I mean, you, so you have to really want to do it, and it has to be important to you. It has to be a priority, and then the how gets a little easier. And and we're trying to want to help with the how. So the social metric scorecard is helping them, the developers, with here's how I can do it. Love that. But I really have a drive that this is important for me to do it. And it has to be a part of my project. You know, I, I'm not going to come in here and displace neighborhood. I did, I'm not going to do it. That's where it has to start. And I've really, I've really gained a great um, respect for our developers as the visionaries. I mean, because they're the ones that come in with a, I see, I'm looking at the, I see dirt in front of me. But they see, you know, like I said, a, at, you know, vertical farm with agriculture and farmers market. They're the visionaries, and then it's a matter. Of, well, how do how do I bring this vision to reality? So, and 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 as as the uh, developers that have been part of uh, your network, really being comfortable with that idea of being the visionaries and the creator. You know, you you do have that 
in a sense, to bring it forth. Um, you know, we know about birthing children, but, you know, bringing forth this other kind of birthing and a vision. And then having the confidence and others who can, can support you in carrying that vision out. And I'm supposed to say the final thing, the determination that we're not going to be deterred. And that's been the thing for us. There have been so many things that try to push us away from this approach because that's not the norm. This is not all done in real estate. No. Right. Yeah. You know, most of the time. And so to be persistent that, uh-uh, we're not going to do it the old-fashioned way. No, we're not getting into the easy bro- That That's the hard thing. That That's really hard. No, we, we, I can't do that. I can't be a part of this place. I can't. You know, my mother and father would be, you know, they would, would that be turning over in their grave to see that. So there's got to be something that says, no, we are, n- we are not going to be part of the solution. We're not going to be part of the problem. And that is an internal thing that you really have to bring to it. That, that's great. And I think that the, the awareness piece, right? Because people, I often, often I hear people say that they, they want to make a social impact. But as we just discussed it right here, it's not a line item on their, their current projects. So we, just like margin. And I, I always want people to say, okay, if you, if you really look, you will find opportunity. But people are not taking the time to be even aware of what it is to have a conversation with a neighbor to fully understand what the community looks like before looks like or or needs besides the numbers by itself. So I think conversations like this one, it's very, very important that will trigger other conversations among different people that now are going to be looking at neighborhoods quite different. And I, we will talk more about this because I love, 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 love the social metric scorecard. And I think that we need to start uh, really perpetuating that as the new norm moving mm-hmm. forward. I think that that's, so that's, that's what we're That's what we're trying to get. That we want you to champion that. Absolutely. And if we can make it the norm, um, it, it, that, goes, that goes a long way. And they risk. You know, I think the one thing I want to be very honest about, that is risky. Anytime you talk to people, it's risky because not people aren't, everybody doesn't agree with you. Yeah. And so when we talk about engaging other minds and thoughts and people will push back and no, I don't want to do that. I don't want you to have a part here. I don't want these apartments. So there is sort of the risk and there is definitely a tension that you have to be comfortable uh, working through and talking with and that's what we talk about the competency in, in, in a in our in our land a cultural competency of being very comfortable in these neighborhoods and communities with residents. You know, for us that that's who we are and where we come from, so it's not a, a big deal. But sometimes going to uncharted water is uncomfortable, and so understanding that and being willing to kind of, oh, okay, this is ten minute for me to get used to this. This is new territory. Uh, but that's where I feel once I learn the financial market. Like, this is new territory for me, but then just get comfortable because you, the more you're in it, the, the easier I think you get. Yeah, I love that. So many great takeaways, Sandra. Uh, this, has been, this has been wonderful. I'm sure we're going to be doing more with you guys and just shine the light, you know, and, and that's really what we're about in our community is uh, it's not just about investing or making, making money. It's much more than that. And that's why we have a growing community of, of other people who want the same. So where can the ladies listening learn more about you and follow you along your journey? Well, um, 
The Grove Collective has a website, www.thecollectivephl.com, and that's where you can learn much more about this initiative. And if you're interested in investing, you know, there, there are ways through our collective investment group for individuals as well as uh, family offices, foundations, you would vet for that one thing. Um, at, at Sandra D. Glenn, I guess is my Twitter handle. I'm, I'm not a base social media person. And I am on LinkedIn, uh, Sandra D. Glenn, uh, on LinkedIn. I think that's the other way you find me. Um, and my, my email is Sandra at thecollectivephl.com. So if people want to just be in touch with me, a function to the old-fashioned way, you can reach out to me on via email, Sandra at thecollectivephl.com. That's great. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. And now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. Sandra, the first one is uh, about the book, a book that made a great impact in your life. What would you say? Oh, man. Well, in the context of this program, I have to be very, very honest. The book that led me to start the collective was the book of Nehemiah in the Bible. And that is as they say, the God honest truth. That is the truth. The book on the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem after the displacement, if you would, of the exile of the uh, people of Israel uh, to Babylon. And their return and their community had been destroyed. And the need to rebuild it. And Nehemiah was the one, the builder, who came back. And that was really the impetus for the collective and looking at our neighborhood and thinking about Who's going to come and rebuild them? So as a, as the most pertinent book in my life with this work is the book of Nehemiah. Awesome. What is the most transformational routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life, whatever balance means to you? Well, I'm still working to get financially free. Okay. So that's, I, I am a work in progress. Um, I am a great, I, I love working out physically. I work out like six to seven days a week. And so this idea, discipline, the order and discipline that comes from my physical workout about there is a routine and there's some things I have to do day in and day out to get to my desired result. And sometimes I get bored with it and sometimes it gets on my nerves and sometimes it gets in the way, but that discipline I, I use to apply to other things. You know, it, I have to sit down and I have to go through. Um, we have to meet our, our, our partners. We have to meet every week. We have to go through and review our development strategies. And these follow-ups have to happen. Today, I have to get the emails out. They have to go out. So that discipline, I think, has been something that has been very helpful in carrying out this this work. Last question, which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? I have to say two, and they very different. Um, the first is my grandmother, my mother's mother, maternal mother, and we lived with her growing up. And she taught me the idea of being independent, but kind and loving at the same time. She was extremely independent, but her commitment to family, her love for her family, unquestionable. And so that kind of gentleness with that strong independence, that balance, that was, was something that she showed me. 
And then the other one is a college mentor, a woman from Australia named Dr. Vilma Hunt, who was the first woman epidemiologist I ever met. And my background was in, I was supposed to be a veterinarian, and then I was going to go into public health and occupational health. But what she showed me was how to walk with great confidence in a male-dominated world, you know, and be very comfortable with who I was and being a woman, and, and but still be very clear and strong and and um, confident in that in that arena, you know. And uh, and, and my science head was okay. The idea of being structured and, and you know kind of like orderly and rational that's okay as a woman, but but it didn't make me any lesser woman. So I would say she was someone else who was um, who had a great impact on kind of my development. Sandra, thank you so much for being uh, on our show. Thank you for sharing your your wisdom and your journey and and the work that you're you're doing with your partners is really important and uh, excited to shine the light on that. So it's, it inspires everyone listening and more of that happens in our world and our community. So thank you for all you do and I appreciate you being on our show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Sandra. Take care. All righty. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, Go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.